wrapping up the day's sporting issues deep into the night. This is Extra Time on SENZ. Just gone 7 o'clock here on SENZ. This is Extra Time with Ricardo Paul. That is the voice from the bloke they call the voice, John Farnham, as well. Uh, we, of course, uh, for 2023, we're doing uh, themed music evenings uh, coming out of all our breaks. Uh, so, I mean, it's open to interpretation. Is it songs about singing? Is it uh, songs by people with great mullets? Uh, what, ben, can you tell us what the theme is tonight? I like the mullet one actually. I might I might have to create a list of that. But <laughs> but no, tonight because tomorrow is Australia Day, we're going with some Aussie rock classics. Aussie rock classics. Okay, I'm looking forward to some uh, some big tunes. We've got some cold chisel. Oh, we've got Barnsley, but got I don't, don't want to don't like mixing it up, you know. So oh, okay. I might might throw a little curveball your way. You never know. Okay, all right, all right. Well, look forward to that. That is what we've got coming your way between now and nine. Also coming your way between now and nine, Casey Frank, former breaker and tall black, is going to join us. Going to talk the breakers and the NBL. The breakers play tomorrow night against the Brisbane Bullets in Brisbane. Big game tonight between the Taipans and Southeast Melbourne Phoenix as well. We'll get his thoughts on all of that and the seasons that a lot of those teams have had as we get to the pointy end. Uh, speaking of pointy end, doesn't get any pointier than the divisional playoffs. Oh, sorry, the uh, divisional title uh, games in the NFL. Those are this weekend as well. Jared Cronin's going to join us to talk about those, give us some insight, might talk a little bit about what, what next for Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady as well. We're going to talk some cricket later on in this hour with Garth Galloway, one of the SENZ cricket commentators, because, of course, the Black Caps finished their series against the Indians last night. Uh, the ODI series, of course, still got some T20s to come. And, uh, yeah, they won the toss and decided to put India into bat on a uh, at a ground where the average first innings is 308, uh, very small ground as well. And, you know, without your first-choice bowling lineup, uh, India went bang, 385 for nine. The openers, uh, Rohit Sharma, 101 off 85. Uh, Shubman Gill, 112 off 78. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, supporting cast, uh, Coley got 36 Ishan got 17 yard of 14, Pandya 54 um, as well. So, yeah, they kept uh, up the run rate right throughout 385 for nine. The top bowler was Blair Tickner with three for 76. Uh, Jacob Duffy, who got uh, brought into the team, got thrown to the Lions a wee bit. He took three for 100 off 10 overs. So he was going for 10 and over, but he did get three wickets, I suppose. Uh, for New Zealand, it didn't go as well uh, in the chase. They were all out. Uh, with 8.4 overs up their sleeve still. Um, the only one that really uh, put his, uh, made a mark was Devin Conway with 138 off 100 balls. Finnellan, his opening partner, out for a second ball duck. Henry Nichols, 42 off 40. Daryl Mitchell got 24. It was a duck for Tom Latham, 5 for Glenn Phillips, 26 for Michael Bracewell. Mitch Santner got 34. 
Rocky Ferguson seven, and then it was a duck for Duffy, uh, and a zero not out for Blair Tickner. So two ninety five all out at New Zealand. So yeah, unfortunate way to finish that ODI series. But I suppose if there's a silver lining, we talked about the top five of the Black Caps not scoring runs right throughout uh, this tour, both in Pakistan and in India. At least we did see Devon Conway bring up a big century with 138. This is what he had to say after the game. Yeah, I think today um, certainly it was definitely a challenge for our bowlers to, to sort of contain on this surface. It was a good batting surface. We know that um, there were small boundaries as well. And I think the nature in which Rohit and Shubman batted, you know, and put our bowlers under pressure, credit to them. Just over here. Yeah, I think the way they started, they certainly put us under serious pressure. Um, we just sort of said as a group, let's just try and hang in there. Let's just try and keep building pressure in some way. If we can break the partnership, um, then we can put the new batter under pressure. Um, so yeah, they just they really played really well today. You know, to start the game with that intent and put us under that pressure made it very hard for us as a group but we sort of said let's just stay in there and back ourselves to try and pull this back. Nice over here in the hoodie. Uh, hi Kevin, uh, yeah I think we said as, as a group we just need to try and make sure we keep up the rate. Um, you know, put their bowlers under pressure, uh, build the partnerships. You know, that's something we lacked in the first two ODIs. And we just didn't quite hold on to those partnerships with the bats. So we said, let's just try and hang in there um, and then put them under pressure in our own ways. You know, just keep looking to score and try and take the, the chase deep. You know, that for us is the key. Um, and unfortunately, we didn't quite manage that tonight. And here, oh, again. Yeah. And, and I know the result today might be yeah, I think um, obviously certainly pretty happy with how things have gone personally over the last you know month and a half. Um, there's been a lot of learnings for me as well. You know, just sort of how to um, attack um, you know spin in the subcontinent. You know, I've had to sort of try and learn how to sweep, you know, reverse sweep, just put bowlers under pressure as, as much as possible. Um, but I've been very fortunate enough to have, you know, good experience in our group. You know, we obviously had Kane there with us in, in Pakistan, so it gave me the opportunity to have those conversations with him. You know, Tommy Latham, guys who've played here in these conditions quite often and just sort of see how they go about it. And for me, you know, I can take a lot of learnings moving forward, especially for the, the World Cup coming up. Yeah, I think, you know, uh, speaking to a couple of our spinners in our group, we they always say, you know, when a batter puts you under pressure and hits you for boundaries, it makes it a lot tougher to sort of land it consistently and you just don't feel like you can bolt to batters. So I sort of thought, you know, for me personally, I'm certainly going to try and put them under pressure, you know, try and take the attack to the spinners, whether it be using my feet or, or sweeping, you know, just trying to find ways to put the spinners under pressure to not allow them to just bowl to me throughout. And, um, yeah, just try to stick to that as much as possible. Yeah, and again. Yeah. 
very experienced bowlers of England matches. How do they do something? What do they do? Sorry, sir, I can't hear. Yeah. yeah, I think, you know, we obviously know that the absence of Balti and Timmy Saudi is massive for us. Um, they are very experienced bowlers and have been playing for us for a long period of time. But I think on the flip side of that, you know, it's given a lot of good opportunities for our younger guys to come through. Um, and also learn against a quality Indian batting lineup. You know, you look at their team and their lineup. We know that they're very successful, certainly in their home conditions. So, you know, for our younger guys to come in and try and learn on, on the go, it's been special for them. Um, and they will take those learnings moving forward. Why not? Why do we feel first? Um, yeah, I think, you know, the discussion we had or the information that we had was that, you know, Dew might certainly play a factor here. Um, talking to the grounds, ground staff yesterday, they said when you bat under, under lights at night time, it certainly gets a lot easier and a lot flatter to bat on. Um, personally, I felt the wicket was obviously really nice to bat on. It was coming on nicely. There wasn't a heap amount of spin out there, so um, we just sort of missed the trick in terms of building more partnerships and putting their bowlers under pressure for a long period of time. Dan, back here. How would you describe this tool for yourself? The first one is, you can't get going with that today. Uh, yeah, I think <clears throat> the first two games I was certainly a little bit disappointed, you know, as, as a batter, especially up the top of the order, you want to contribute and you want to make way, um, you know, put, put the team in a strong position. Um, so I was a little bit disappointed after those two games, but, you know, as a batter, you've just got to try and remain positive. You've got to trust what you're doing is, is going to be right for the team. And, you know, tonight I just managed to get through that new ball period, um, which has been a challenge for us over the last three games. And especially with the swing that they've, they've had in, in all three, three ODIs. Um, so yeah, I managed to get through that and just managed to kick on. Uh, it's something that you know, I certainly want to do for the team. That's my role to sort of bat throughout the innings and um, build partnerships with other batters at the other end. Uh, there we go. That is um, Devin Conway speaking after that 130 he scored against India in indoor last night in a losing effort for the Black Caps, uh, one of the top five standing up and scoring some runs. It is 11 past seven. Uh, can you get your thoughts on that and, and what you've made of this tour, particularly the ODIs? Uh, the T20s I'm not so concerned about. We've got an ODI World Cup later this year. That should be what we're mostly focused on. So the ODIs, Pakistan, we won that series. 2-1, first time we'd won a series since 1969 over there. A weakened Black Cap squad, to be fair. They've lost a few uh, who have come home, uh, and it's not the full management team either. Um, so maybe there's a few uh, excuses in there. Uh, but what what have you made of the, what you've seen from the Black Caps? Some of those players trying to make a mark, uh, some players that maybe can come in, freshen the squad up, give us some other options, and ingest some new blood. Uh, keen to hear from you. Double eight double three, double eight double three. That is our text line, or you can call us oh eight hundred one five zero eight eleven. Shortly, we're going to catch up with Garth Galloway and get his take on this Black Caps tour of India. What could possibly be better than starting your day springing out of bed? This is SENZ, it is Extra Time, and SENZ cricket commentator Garth Galloway joins us. G'day, Garth. Uh, you recovered from that, another disappointing performance from the Black Caps last night? Yeah, it was an onslaught, wasn't it? You know, but, but I thought, um, I mean, it was disappointing, but I thought that when you watch players like uh, Sharma and Gill and they get away like that, 
you know, they're, they're, they really are formidable. And I think it's difficult for any attack in those circumstances. I don't want to make excuses for the New Zealand side, but, um, you know, and in fairness to them, I thought they did fight back. You know, they were looking at a score. Goodness, I was doing the calculations, watching it, as I'm sure you were, Ricardo, and I was at 450 or 500 at one stage. But mm. as is often the case, it came back from there. And so I, I think New Zealand showed a bit of character, but they were completely outclassed in the match and in the series. Yeah, they were. Uh, last night, it seems a funny thing to me, and, and Garth, maybe you've got a take on this, maybe you've noticed it through the series, that whoever has lost the toss has claimed that they would have done what they, uh, what, what happened to them anyway if they'd won the toss. Um, how much belief do you put into those uh, statements that come out when you've lost the toss? Not a lot, now. <laughs> um, I used to I used to play straight set in what the Japanese said about it, but it does seem like there's a, there might be a bit of gamesmanship with it, you know, and... Um, but again, I, I just felt that uh, I, I sometimes feel New Zealand don't get it right when they do win the toss as well at times. You know, I thought I would have really, um, I, I like to see them batting first, I have to say, and trying to set a target. I know they like chasing. Um, I sometimes feel that that's the, uh, the option uh, from a side which has less confidence. Mm. Yeah, it's an interesting one because uh, it almost felt like they hadn't done their homework on the ground. It's one of the smallest cricket grounds in international cricket. And I think uh, before this uh, game last night, the average score of a first innings in an ODI there was 308. So you always knew there were going to be runs. Yeah, and I, and I would always wanted to have batted first. You know, that was um, that, that was the approach. I mean, that pitch, it was, I mean, I know it was, you know, people talked about it being flat, and it was. Uh, there wasn't a lot of movement. Uh, but the way that they did it at the start was was just incredible. And, you know, the New Zealand bowlers, I, I mean, you know, out of it comes a good experience for the bowlers, uh, a tough experience, but but one that they should learn from. And, of course, they go over to India for the World Cup in September, October this year. And the opportunity to have played there in those conditions will have been valuable. Um, you know, New Zealand will go away and pick themselves up. They have a series against Sri Lanka. You know, you can guarantee that New Zealand will... You can almost guarantee they'll win that and you can guarantee that they'll all get runs and wickets and play well because Sri Lanka aren't a great side, in my view, and certainly not playing away from home. Um, So I suppose uh, a a good experience for them. But I think, you know, also with that World Cup ahead, I think there are still a lot of questions. There are players to come back into the mix, of course, and goodness knows they need them. But in some crucial spots, I think New Zealand will still have some concerns. Yeah, well, I mean, particularly that top five. I mean, I know Devin Conway went bang last night, but it's the first time one of our top five has gone bang in this this entire series. Yeah, well, he got, I mean, his series actually against um, Pakistan and, and India almost mirrored themselves, 153 at 51 against Pakistan and then 155 at 51 uh, against, or just over 51 um, against India. I thought his innings last night was fantastic. And I suppose if you're looking for positives out of the series, you, you know, two of the really fine innings by uh, New Zealand white ball players, I think Conway's 100, and of course the one in Bracewell, uh, the Bracewell's one in the first one day innings was, in the first one day rather, was a was a magnificent innings. Uh, you know, but the real question marks for me, you know, the top of the order, as you say, Alan, mm, well, I, I don't know what they're going to do with him. He's now, his average is plummeting uh, to 30. Um, remember when he came back from Ireland and uh, Scotland and the Netherlands and playing against a pretty weak West Indian side, his average was well up and it's now plummeting. And in those six matches in the subcontinent, he scored 90 runs at 15. He just doesn't seem to have a defensive technique. And if you look at Sham, again, if we look at the Indian openers and just pick on uh, Sharma and Gill, uh, you know, that's, 
protect the techniques that they have in terms of defending. Uh, you know, we, we focus on how much they score runs and how quickly, but they also have this wonderful ability to keep the very good deliveries out. And, you know, they go back to the absolute basics of bat and pad close together. What is the angle that the bat's coming down on when they're defending? And you saw Alan getting out last night. His bat was just at a horrible angle when he played that ball on. Um, he looks to me to be confused. I think he's been played badly by New Zealand. You know, they, they announced um, uh, around the time of the T20 World Cup that he was going to be their, their big thing for the World Cup this year. I think that puts a lot of pressure on a young player. And, um, and you know, I don't think it's fair in a way. And I do, and I do think he must be feeling that. Latham uh, has struggled. You know, he is such a good player in the subcontinent. But if we look at him in his last six innings, he scored 83 at 13. Mitchell, 106 at 17. So those are the players who you would expect, I think, to be playing in the World Cup and who will need, they'll need to get a lot more out of them. Yeah, I, mean, I think it's becoming more and more obvious that the T20 has evolved away from ODIs even, and, and they are quite different games. And I do wonder whether Daryl Mitchell is the player you want batting as high as four in an ODI. He still feels to me like a guy who's a seven. Yeah, he's, he's in that all-rounder. He, 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 he almost feels to me like a player, if you could get a bit more out of him with the ball, you know, almost in that Harris mode. Um, I mean, obviously a very different type of bowler, but 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 a, but a good yeah, sort of player who could be a very good finisher. Um, and so I I agree with you. I think they may have to look. I mean, I'm not sure what they're going to do. If Alan fails against Sri Lanka, they then go to Pakistan and have more matches over there. And you think about would they look? Perhaps I don't know to look to look at Latham opening with Conway. Um, do they look at Guptill again? Have they made a mistake by dropping him? And so, so I think a lot might depend with Mitchell in terms of what they do at the top of the order and where they want him. But I agree with you. I think four just looks uh, a little bit too high for me. Four or five, actually. Mm, yeah, and I would say, you know, uh, Henry Nichols, maybe his day is done as well. He's nearly 33, and uh, I think he scored once over his average on this entire tour. So he might be another one that they need to look at a bit closer. Well, yeah, and, and in the interviews I've done with um, some of your other hosts on SDNZ, you know, we've talked about Nichols in the test lineup. Uh, you know, he's, he's really struggled over the last 18 months. Uh, and here we are in this series, 62 at 20. I mean, I thought he looked quite good last night. And fairness to him, he played a couple of ramp shots and things and, and looked like he was getting into the groove when he got out. Uh, but again, um, you know, they've either, they're going to have to make a choice around experience uh, or, you know, less experience, I suppose. I, I don't think Nichols is a player I'd be looking to in the starting 11 for the World Cup. Uh, remember also that they do get, to, that they do get you know, the likes of, in, in terms of the attack, uh, Henry and Sodi back and Williamson obviously will come into the mix. And of course, Tim Southey. And, and they'll need those players. That'll make a huge difference to them. But still, those starting players, uh, Alan, uh, Latham and Mitchell, causing concerns. It's interesting you mentioned Sodi there because uh, you know, I know he had a, a foot injury um, at the beginning of the Indian series. Um, but talking to Grant Elliott last night, he was very much of the opinion that he was just being left out because they couldn't figure a way to get three seamers in and then have him as well. Uh, but it felt like if you're bowling Santner and Bracewell over there, it's effectively the same player, two guys who are defensive, holding restrictive spinners rather than attacking wicket-taking spinners. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I would, um, if, if you can find room for Sodi, I'd love to see him 
being given a, a go. I mean, I, I, I do think that T20 is the form of the game that suits him best. Um, it seems to me, in a way, you know, I, I know he had that very good series with the ball and test series in Pakistan, uh, and I think New Zealand are going to have a real quandary about what they do over here, but I think they'll pick Bracewell as their spinner in the test series against England. I don't think so you'll get a go in New Zealand. I might be wrong, but he hasn't been particularly successful in New Zealand before. But, yeah, I mean, I you know, I, I, I feel, and when you look at the sides around the world uh, who are at the top of the game, I do think that having a, a, a leg spinner, a wrist spinner, adds a lot. Mm. And um, it, 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 interesting to hear those comments by Grant Elliott. I may have been asleep at that time, but... Um, <laughs> and missed them, but but that's an, that's a very interesting insight and a surprising one. Yeah, yeah, oh, and that's what I thought as well. And, and you know, that comes back to then the balance of that bowling is that if yeah, Daryl Mitchell's in there, I mean, he could be that third seamer. And you can put Sodian in conditions that are favourable to spinning. He could be. Uh, he got dealt to last night a bit, but then I, I you know, I'm not sure that we, we read too much into that. Everyone got got smacked around, didn't they? Um, I mean, I suppose if you look at the bowling bonuses out of the series, uh, Bracewell a little bit expensive, but I think when you when you look at Pakistan and India, he's had a good series and, and got a lot of experience from it. Santner continues to be, as you say, quite a defensive bowler, but he has a critical role and his economy rate was pretty good in the series amongst the better of the New Zealand bowlers. And I thought Ferguson bowled well in the Indian series as well didn't leak quite as many runs as uh, as he seemed to at times in the Pakistan series. So I thought, you know, there are some, some reasonable signs. And uh, as I say, when they bring in um, some of those players who are missing at the moment, it does give some strength to the squad. But gee, um, there'll be some shell shock players after that. And I think an awful lot's going to depend on how they go in that series in Pakistan, which I think is in May. Um, you know, another trip to the subcontinent, critical practice. And they'll really be working about the balance of the side there and, um, and, and trying to make some decisions around those critical areas. Mm, I mean, another thing, too, is the chopping and changing of the leadership, right? And I know they've got to rest players, but you went from a very staid, conservative leadership in Kane to somebody who's a lot more attacking in Tim Southey, and then all of a sudden he disappears and you get Tom Latham, who's really just Kane Jr. Um, <laughs> and so, so it kind of felt like we went back to being very cautious in our approach in the field again. Well, I'm afraid I can't disagree with you on that either. Um, you know, it's always good to find ways of disagreeing with the host, but I'm I'm with you. <laughs> um, I would say that I was, uh, you know, I, I was. I think Saudi was the right person for the Test series in Pakistan and the right person to take over the Test team. But I thought I was disappointed with his captaincy at times in that series. I thought he was, you know, and I've talked um, about it. You know, when Williamson was uh, on 175 or so, and he then they clearly. Uh, allowed the game just to stagnate while I let him get through to 200, you know. And a, a player like Stokes with with Root uh, in the team in a similar position would simply not have allowed that to happen, I'm sure. So um, they all seem to me to be um, a, a little bit too conservative at times. And I agree with you that Tom Latham, for, for what a fine player he is, um, I don't think his captaincy adds a lot more than, than Williamson. No, I 100%. Great minds think alike, uh, by the way, Garth. Um, <laughs> before I let you go, I, I, there's something else that occurred to me last night when I saw Jacob Duffy's name in the team, and I went, I wonder if they've missed a bit of a trick here because looking forward to that ODI World Cup, there's no guarantees we're going to have Trent Bolt, and finding a left-arm seam option has been an issue. And you've got Ben Lister over there who's just bowling in the nets waiting for the T20 series. Uh, I wonder if there was well, ever a temptation to give, give him a crack and just see what he would do. 
Well, actually, I think I think you're right, and uh, but but also, you know, I think because the player we're not talking about is Shipley, of course, who only played in a few of the One Day Internationals, and I think you know not not quite the sort of bowler I expected, not as quick as I thought he would be, um, but not too bad at times. Um, Duffy, you know, will struggle to come back um, from that very difficult performance. Uh, I, I think in terms of you know being a real. Uh, contender for the World Cup. I, I'd like to see players like Lister um, and, and some others because I think Bolt, yeah, don't know what's going to happen with him, but I really do think that Sri Lankan series should be an opportunity for the New Zealand side to look at some other players occasionally as well. I don't mean bring in wholesale changes, but you know the sort of things that you're talking about, I think a series against a team like Sri Lanka at home in New Zealand provides a really good opportunity to have a look at some other players. And then, you, you know, they could they can build to Pakistan and then look to build to the World Cup and, and finalise things. Yeah, indeed. All right, Garth. Hey, listen, thanks very much for coming on, mate. Really appreciate your time uh, and look forward to hearing you call games again on SENZ soon. Yeah, nice to talk to you. All the best. You're on SENZ. It is extra time. 25 away from Abe talking cricket this hour with the Black Caps Tour of uh, India. All the ODI series is done now. Of course, you just talked to Garth Galloway about that. We talked to Devin Conway. Or we heard from Devin Conway as well post-match as well. Keen to get your thoughts. Double eight, double three, double eight, double three. What have you learned from this series uh, for the Black Caps, particularly India? Uh, you know, They've tried a few different things. You know, you've got to give them that. They've tried a few different things. There are players that aren't there. Of course, uh, Tim Southey, Kane Williamson went home. Uh, so did uh, half the coaching staff. So they, it's, it's a different group. They're trying a few different things out. Like they've got to, and, and particularly trying to give Finn Allen uh, a bit of a run as well. He, he just hasn't fired in the subcontinent. I know he's only 23. And, you know, it's one of the things I've been calling for, is saying that this team is all in their thirties, they're all aging together. They need to bring in. They need to bring in some younger players now. Um, I guess it's just that battle, isn't it? Because you bring in the younger player, and Finn Allen, as Garth mentioned, he's averaging fifteen point eight three in the con- in the subcontinent uh, on this tour. Um, top score of forty out of ninety five runs. So, yeah, it hasn't been going well for him. Can you get your thoughts? Double eight double three or oh eight hundred one five oh eight eleven. Josh has called in uh, from Napier. How you? How's the Hawks Bay, Josh? Yeah, not too bad. Had a cricket today, so yeah, not too bad. Ricardo, how about yourself, bud? Yeah, good, thanks, mate. Good, good. Uh, you know, it's it's the it's the old adage, though, isn't it? It's, if it's a good day in Napier, you know there's no cricket on. Um, f- flip it around yeah, the other well, way. Uh, Put the cricket much. on and the rain comes. Um, so, uh, exactly that. Yeah, what, what did you want to talk about, bud? Uh, no, just your thoughts on that. Well, they had to tinker with something over that series, didn't they, with uh, a couple of the stalwarts out in Williamson and Southey. So, no, good to, well, I guess, blood them against, well, the best players in the world, essentially. And, uh, well, yeah, going forward, yeah, Mitchell, I guess, definitely not as high as a number four batsman. I think possibly five going into the mix. I think somebody we should also be thinking about is Tom Blundell. Um, I think his glove work is quite good, to be honest. And like slotting into that middle order, he pretty much scores at a run of ball nearly in test match cricket almost. So, and, um, you know, just aggressive, good player and positive as well. So, you know, I think he deserves a good crack there in that middle order and on those slower pitches, definitely with his risky play. Yeah, well, I mean, so what would you and do then? then? That, you know, and then, and then move Latham up the top, I guess, because, mm. you know, especially in subcontinent conditions, you're going to get um, slow bowlers up the top as well. So you can still sweep and use it while, you know, up there. 
as well, and use that to his advantage. And he's experienced, so I think, you know, it, he's going to get a crack, isn't he? And he's going to be given a good crack. So I think him up there, and I'd possibly, I, I think I'd move Conway to four and really bet around, you know, Williamson, Conway, Mitchell, five kind of thing, something like that. Yeah. Blunder almost like, you know, testing's almost, you know, and just really do that and then have your power hitters coming at the end, whether it's your mix it up with whether you take in your Michael Bracewell, whether Kyle Jamison is good enough to even come into the mix as your 8-9, Seema, like, bowling all around, I don't know. But, yeah, that's something I'd maybe look at doing going yeah. forward. Yeah, it's not, not a bad shout. Actually, Kyle Jamison uh, made his comeback today in Ford Trophy for Auckland and took two for 48 off 9.2 overs. I mean, that's not bad, isn't it? Good, Definitely a good comeback, so... Hopefully he comes to straps and definitely with his long levers down the order would be real handy too, coming in at nine order or something like that. And yeah, he did. Definitely it off from... of hopefully your Salvi and Bolton. It would be nice if Bolton does get a nudge or whatever they do there. But in saying that, Henry's always done the job for us, hasn't he, when he's been given the opportunity and given the big games as well, you know, given yeah. last yeah. World Cup, well, that World Cup in England and stuff like that. So I, I think going for yeah, I mean, we can criticise that too, but there's a lot of guys that got an opportunity and it's good to see how some of them fronted, you know, your Shipley and stuff like that, see how they've done in, in that arena and whether they go back to the drawing board and give it another nudge afterwards, but yeah, yeah. we just look at it like that. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see if Shipley gets a crack against Sri Lanka here this summer, um, and then yeah, if they I, take I, him to I Pakistan. think you can't, you can't do one in a way, it's not good mm. for a confidence thing, you know, and away from from your comfort zone and a new environment and stuff and want in almost the toughest environment in the world cricket wise so you know a bit of a well learning so so what Devin Conway was saying hopefully yeah yeah I mean that's the uh, that's the other thing is you know you don't you don't want to be one and done but there are some options there you know I mean a guy that is on this tour we haven't seen yet is Doug Bracewell um, yeah, hundred percent. Well, I'm from the Hawks Bay and yeah. uh, well, Dougie's a mate of mine, so well, I'm a cricketer. So yeah, um, yeah, of course, I'd love to see him get a nudge, but we know what Dougie can offer, and I think you know, cometh the man, cometh the hour. If he's picked, he's picked, then he's going to go hard, kind of like Michael Brace, where they just never, never say die. Kind of counter attack is the only way they know, you know. Yeah, well, actually, another bloke from your part of the world that you haven't mentioned who's been in pretty good form is Will Young. Um, he's sort of been. Yeah, that... oh wow, that's that's how I almost look at it. Opening with um, Latham, to be honest, and you know, well, when they batted over there last time in Test, they didn't do too bad together. You know, opening up the top, so I guess they click and stuff. And you know, he's a, he's a senior leader for the Stags, and well, killing it and over here, so. You know, I think he deserves a crack. I don't know why he isn't really around the mix at the moment. But, you know, I don't want to please tell him the old staggy boys, but, yeah, no doubt. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, well, well, I think, you know, particularly uh, Garth mentioned it too about the, you know, the form that Henry Nichols has had, which has been yeah. you know, pretty ordinary. I and mean, he's had injuries, to be fair to him as well, but he hasn't played a lot yeah, of cricket. Yeah, and, he... and he's one of those guys, I guess, that, you know, gets talked about as he needs some runs and then he'll get a big one and it's kind of like, oh, yeah, and then he'll follow that up with, you know, a couple of decent dish scores and then kind of warring his place for another good while without, I guess, um, you know, setting the house on fire, so, so mm. to speak. But, yeah, um, yeah, he's had a good crack. Um, same thing experience-wise, yes. But other people, yeah, I, I really think Will Young deserves a crack, that's for sure. Yeah. I guess one of the guys out of the seat that wasn't there in the squad that really is knocking on the door. What about... Um... 
Ish Sodi, because I mean, I, I mentioned yeah. it with Garth. You know, Bracewell and Sandner, uh, I get it. They're, they're both very good containing bowlers. They can both do a really good job with the bat. But do you need both of them? Surely you want a guy who's there as a wicket taker, not just as a container. I mean, uh, is it a case, you know, would you play Ish Sodi now, given that the World Cup that is in India? down to the balance and who you're playing against and stuff like that. I think uh, Mitchell Sandner's very good against the right-handers, which, uh, you know, which... Sometimes Sody with that one ball that he does leap over can, you know, not be so good against Spath. You know, Michael Bracewell at seven batting just kind of too hard to ignore at the moment, I guess. I'd like to see at Sody because that point of difference, and he's just a genuine wicket taker. He always does take wickets, and whether it is those bad balls, they do take wickets sometimes because they try and hit them, and um, and I think that comes down to the balance and what they want. So. Whether you have a, you'd have to have a really good bowling all around, I guess, to have Sodi there as well, probably, mm. or Mitchell to pick up some overs and probably warrant at least five or six overs, you know. Yeah, well, that's the thing. That's the role I think Daryl Mitchell should be playing because I don't see anybody yeah. else um, playing that role at the moment. He should be playing that Colin de Gronholm role, right? Yeah, so like yeah, kind of. It, I guess we were lucky in the past where we had like guys like Nathan Apple and Scott Cyrus at the same time. So if one of them wasn't on, the other guy would get in there and McMillan as well, kind of all doing the same thing. We, and it all held the bat real well. So we do miss that and that kind of getting that last 10 overs together and... Get it, keeping the quality of the bat up, I guess, but and that's that's where it's going to come down to the balance and finding that out over the fine tuning that over the next few series, I guess. Well, I hope. Yeah, well, Josh, I mean, put your selectors hat on, mate. Well, you pretend you're Gary Stead, and you've got yeah. a, you've got a name and eleven right now for the opening game of the World Cup in October in India. Ooh. What's what's your eleven look like? Oh. It's pretty hard. Uh, well, I guess I'll talk it up my line, line up and with what's been put out there at the moment, it's not doing as much better. Um, I'd probably still stay with fin- fin- Allen. I like that element of risk-reward and that game that he, like, does come off. It could be the big game and something, something like that. And he's, he's showing glimpses, but I guess the technical frailties are getting found out at the moment. But I'm, nah, I'll go Latham, Young... Williamson, Conway, Mitchell, and I'll go Tom Blundell, and he's just an unflappable character, I think, in any situation. He doesn't seem to be phased, you know, he's just kind of one of those relaxed guys, kind of, you know, MCG ton and stuff like that. Um, Seven, I think Bracewell's pretty too hard to ignore. I'll go Bracewell and Santner, Mm -hmm. and then I'll go probably Henry, Southie, and I'd I'd hope Bolt was available, and that would be my even nod. I'd, I'd go for that. Yeah, have, I, I think have, Henry's pretty big game player, and and yeah. Would you have him Same in there over? The you'd have Henry over Ferguson or Jamison. Yeah, I, I, I mean, if Jamison can get back to Jamison form before his fifth tie PL, yeah, I, 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 he's too hard to ignore. He swings the ball. I think that's the thing. It's swinging the ball as well. Yeah, that a little bit you might get. Um, yeah, and I think yeah, Matt Henry just kind of like that, kind of late one thirties ish, is you know, and, and does a bit and offers a bit of a bat down the order too, and yeah, big game player. So that, if that was eleven, I'd pick that eleven for mine. Okay, all right. What do you think of Josh's eleven? Let us know. Double eight, double three, or give us a call. Oh eight hundred one five zero eight eleven. Hey Josh, thanks very much uh, for calling, mate. Uh, do you do you go down to the uh, to the to the old loading ramp at all and have a beer with Smithy at any stage?
Uh, yeah, no, well, I haven't seen Smithy lately down there. Uh, too been too busy around the traps, but nah, no, yeah, sometimes hang out in the old heavies over there, Turks or Turks or ladies, one of the two. Yeah, mate. Well, and what about you mentioned uh, Dougie Bracewell? I know he's pretty famous for his barbecues. How good are they? Oh, yeah, nah, they're a good one. Hey, nah, he's got a nice wee pad tucked out there, so yeah, nah, he holds some crackers, old Dougie. Good lad, and yeah, nah, fine cricketer. Good athlete, you know, one of those guys that can just, just do it. You know, he just gets out there and loves doing it. Gets amongst it, eh? Gets amongst it, Josh. Who do you play for? Who do you play your club cricket for? Uh, So I'm just um, old boys Maris. So, yeah, just, yeah, club cricket scene. I think there's about six of us and six of our teams in Premier Club Cricket here. No, good standard uh, with uh, COVID and stuff. We've got, I guess, teams got a couple of overseas guys and stuff like that so it's really lifted the standard and yeah now nah, it's a pretty open competition this year so not nah, looking forward to the rest of the season that's for sure that's, that's good man do you roll the arm over or are you a man that just wields the willow uh bit of both bit of both so yeah like i, I guess a bit more of a batting all-rounder if i'd like to say myself i'd like to not bowl I feel like a bit hard on the old body these days but um yeah, no, nah, it's still competitive nature in me. Just have to get in there and have a have a try and do it. Yeah, yeah what, what's what, what are you what are you, what are you throwing down? Ah, uh, just some seamers, uh, just some dibbly dobblies, I guess some would put it. Um, Gav Larson styles. And these, yeah, yeah, I'd say yeah, but like that, and just but just be niggly. I, I mean, the weather hasn't been too great, so it's not like we've had flat ones here. So. Ah, it's been um, perfect pitches, I guess, for those dibbly dobblies. Yeah, nice and uh, hold up a bit, eh? It's a bit slow, take all yeah. the pace off the ball. Yeah, exactly that, and a little bit of sideways movement either way. Quality, mate, quality, Josh. All right, it's great to have you on the show, mate. Thanks very much for your call. Really appreciate it. No, cheers, Ricardo. Go have well. a good one, fella. Yeah, you too, mate, you too. Josh out of Napier there. A champion call uh, this evening to kick things off. Want to hear from you too on the uh, Black Caps and what you would look at doing. 0800 150 811. 0800 150 811 or 8833. It is eight away from eight o'clock here on SENZ, and this is extra time. After eight o'clock, we're going to talk uh, basketball with Casey Frank and NFL with Gerard Cronin as well. Uh, plenty of time for you to get your calls and texts in double eight double three, or you can call us on oh eight hundred one five zero eight eleven. I quite liked uh, some of the ideas that Josh put forward. Ben, he surprised me with the call of taking Matt Henry over Lockie Ferguson or uh, or a fit Kyle Jamison, though. Why is that? Well, I just think that they're more established ODI bowlers, both of them, and Kyle Jamison particularly can bat probably as high as eight, offers a lot with the bat. Um, Lockie maybe not so much, but Lockie also will bowl an extra 15Ks an hour. I guess it depends what you want, really. I think... I quite like Kyle Jamison, uh, but of course he's been battling injuries. So mm. uh, who knows what, where his fitness is going to be at the time of the World Cup? I, I think he's due back soon, if not playing back for he Auckland. He played today. Yeah, back playing for Auckland, but who knows that that could always come into consideration heading towards the World Cup. Yeah, he took uh, two for 48 off 9.4 overs. Oh, that would have been pretty handy. Yeah, it wasn't too bad. They restricted uh, Wellington to 219, bowled them out short of the 50 overs. Uh, George Worker scored 91 not out for Auckland, and Auckland got their 222 for three with seven overs to spare. 
Good job. Yeah, so it was it was it was pretty convincing, and uh, yeah, good to see Cole Jamison back uh, with the ball. Keen to hear from you though. Who who would you have in there? I mean, boy, it's a, I've I've noticed on Twitter recently, uh, and particularly on uh, there's been a few. There's been rugby league Twitter's done it. I've noticed football twi- Twitter's done it. They've gone, you know, somebody who's a who's a club band has gone. These three players, you got to play one, bench one, and 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 sell one. What are you doing? And we could almost do that with those three. Kind of feels like it's something I saw do it being done on ESPN FC uh, on the extra time segment. It's been done for probably at least a year where someone started that, and it's always random ones, whether it's right backs or whatever. But start one. So what are the three options? So you got you got to play one, you play bench one, and and move one on. Yeah, who are, who are the who are the three players we're talking? Jamison what? Ferguson and Henry. I would. If all are fit and healthy, I'd probably start Jamison, Bench, Ferguson, Sal, Matt, Henry. Yeah, there you go. All right, that's that's what I would do, probably, I think. I'd As think. you said to Garth, great minds think alike. Great minds think alike, they do. Uh, keen to hear from you too, double eight, double three, double eight, double three. What are you going to do? You've got to start one, you've got to bench one, and you've got to, well, you can't sell them because it's international sports, so it doesn't work that way, but I leave one at home. There you go. Hey, let's, let's say that. You've got you to play one, bench one, and, and leave one at home. Between Lockie Ferguson, Kyle Jamison, and Matt Henry, what are you doing? Let us know. Double eight double three. That is the text line. Double eight double three, or you can call us on oh eight hundred one five zero eight eleven. Just about to find out uh, one of the semi finalists in the Australian Open. Two unseeded Americans playing each other in the quarter final. Uh, Tommy Paul and Ben Shelton, and it is two sets to one to Paul. Uh, Shelton's just won the third seven five. Uh, this could go the long, a long way. The winner of this will probably play, uh, well, Novak Djokovic is the favourite in the, in the uh, quarterfinal later tonight, but he plays Andre Rublev, the fourth and fifth seed. So one of those unseeded players is going to play either the fourth or fifth seed in the semi-final of the Australian Open. We'll keep you up to date with the score in that one as it proceeds. This is SENZ Extra Time on your Wednesday night. We are playing... Uh, Classic Aussie rock ahead of Australia Day tomorrow and uh, working class man doesn't get any more ochre rock than that, does it? I love that line in that song, he believes in God and Elvis and gets out when he can. That's a great line. Great line from Jimmy Barnes. We'll have a few more of those between now and 9 o'clock. Now, before uh, the break, I was talking about, uh, with Ben, about, you know, Jamison, uh, Kyle Jamison, Matt Henry, Lockie Ferguson, if you had to b- play one, bench one, and leave one at home, what would you do? We have had a text through on double eight double three. Jamison definitely the better player at nine, if fit. Henry will be at the final though, like he was in England in twenty nineteen. As you know, what you get with him, given uh, given a Jamison injury, Ferguson bowls quick, but that means he goes quicker to the boundary if he misses his areas. That's probably a fair point. Actually, you just hope that he doesn't miss his areas and bowling one hundred and fifty one kegs, he can uh, knock over a few castles for you. But uh, thanks for your text. Keep them coming through. Double eight, double three. That got me thinking, Ben. We should do this. We should do this more often. I reckon we should do. We should do one a night of. Uh, Play, bench, sell, or play, bench, leave it home, depending on if it's international or uh, club uh, sport. And the obvious thing for me was, so, I, was, I was I was talking to you about this, and I thought, I need to do this with Ben over around the Warriors. Oh, so, no. Oh. So, so here you go. Here you go, Ben. I'm putting this to you right now. I hope, I not, I hope it's not what I'm thinking, because it's probably going to be really hard. <laughs> You've got three players. The little general, Stacey Jones. Oh, no. Yeah. Sean Johnson. Uh-huh. 
James Maloney. You got to play one, bench one, and send one to another club. What are you doing? Oh, blimey. Can I have a second to think about this? You can have a second to think about it. Yeah, I'll sure. T- I'll take a second to think about it. All right. We're gonna have a, he's going to have a second to think about that. Graham from Christchurch is called through on 0800 150 811. Graham, um, yep. I don't know if you've got any thoughts on the Warriors, but are you, are you calling about no, the cricket? No, no thoughts on the Warriors. Sorry, and I don't mean that. I say that with the greatest respect. I don't follow the Warriors, but I'll, I'll keep me out of that one. Uh, oh, the, well, he's got to have Matt Henry. He's a Canterbury man to start with. Um, no, and, and all jokes aside, I think Henry will definitely come back in there. Cause, I mean, it's, it's actually his third World Cup if he, you know, and you know, hopefully he doesn't get injured. But because he was in the 215 one too and played in the final against Aussie in um, the Melbourne Cricket Ground, then he was at the one at um, was it at Lords the final in the 219. Yeah, and played well in that too. So um, yeah, he. Definitely goes in, but there's there's a bit of a bit of a quandary there. Um, you know, hopefully we we get a few of these guys back because um, you know they're struggling a bit at the moment. New, Ze- New Zealand, that's an understatement. Yeah, it is. I mean, they they have taken a weekend team to India and they're trying a few things out. To be fair, um, so uh, I'm going to ask you again: start, bench, trade is what they call it in the states. Who are you starting? Who are you benching? Who who are you moving on or leaving at home? Oh, we start Matt Henry. Okay. You're starting Matt Henry over, over Kyle Jamison or Lockie Ferguson? Oh, over uh, Ferguson. Okay. And so, so you've got to put one on the bench. Who's on the bench? Well, that only leaves, well, that means leaves one. I mean, you've got three players and you said, you said Jamison or um, Ferguson. So who's, who's that? What, what what do you what do you mean? Just just to clarify it. Sorry. Just to clarify, so you've got to start one of these players. You've got to put well, one I mean, of these. Henry. So you well, start. Henry starts. Henry yeah. starts. So you got to, and then one of the other two's got to be on the bench, and the other one's got to be left at home. Oh well, I'd, I'd it's a tough one. I, I'd I'd start Jameson and leave Ferguson at home. I mean, even though Ferguson has a strong, you know, he's quick and you know. As you say, as you said, or someone else said, you know, it goes quicker to the boundary. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, he'd be the unlucky one. Stay at home. Yeah. All right. Okay, Graham. Thanks for your call, mate. Thanks for your input. No worries. All right. Have a good good night. Yeah, you too, mate. You too. Uh, It is six past eight. Ben, um, was that enough time? (sighs) Yeah, all right. Okay, so what are you going to do? I I wish you picked fullbacks or something else that was a bit easier. (laughs) Start, bench, trade. Stacey Jones, Sean Johnson, James Maloney. What are you doing? Uh, I have to start Stacey after thinking about it. Yeah. I know what James Maloney did at the club was good, but I would lean towards somebody who has a bit more history at the club. This is try how I think about things. I, I try when I'm comparing players from different generations, I'm I gotta think about the history. So I probably would have to bench Sean, and then that would be mean letting go of James Maloney, which is really hard to do because pretty much every club he went to, he had success. But the, my thinking of this is the success at the Warriors, and sh- considering Sean's time at the, the club, that would probably put him above James Maloney. Mm, it's interesting because, I mean, it's easy to say start bench trade and you think about it just like that, right? Like it's a one, two, three. Mm. But if you're actually thinking about what a player offers you off the bench. I think James Maloney is more of a 14 than Sean Johnson is. 
Yeah, you're probably right, but that that comes down to how you think about it. Yeah, as well. So, okay, if I was to throw one at you then, mm-hmm. and let's say we go Manchester United greats of let's say the last twenty odd years, and mm-hmm. we do a Roy Keane, we do a there's another player we could do. Let's say a Gary Neville, or we can do a Wayne Rooney. I know, I know, I just threw three random players at you, but those are the first yeah. three players that came to my head. Yeah, they're all they're all different, uh, all different positions. Uh, okay, why don't we do midfielders? Why don't we go Scal, Paul Skulls, mm-hmm. Ryan Giggs? Yeah, I was going to say Donny Van Der Beek. <laughs> <laughs> That's easy. <laughs> I know who I'm trading. <laughs> Uh, let's just go David Beckham then. David Beckham, uh, I would keep. I would start Paul Scholes. Um, I would I would bench Ryan Giggs and I would sell David Beckham. Okay, and what's your thinking behind that? Well, Paul Scholes is possibly the best English midfielder of that generation. Mm-hmm. Even though he didn't get in, he he didn't have the he wasn't the media darling that Lampard and Gerrard were. But if you listen to like guys like Pep Guardiola. Uh, Andreas Iniesta, Xavi, even Zinedine Zidane, they all talk about Paul Scholes as the best English midfielder they ever played against, um, which I think says a lot. Uh, he was capable of playing passes that, that no one else could see, had a great shot, um, he could get stuck in the tackle as well. Uh, he he really was, he had everything, uh, Paul Scholes. Um, Ryan Giggs, uh, I mean, he's versatile. I mean, traditionally played on the left. He could also play in the middle, and you could get away with playing him off a off a front man as well. So he gives you some versatility. Beckham was very much. Uh, I don't know how he would go in today's uh, in, t- in today's game. You'd find a place for him. He'd probably be more of a central midfielder than a right midfielder where he played at United. But from a purely cynical point of view, I think you'd get more money for him than you get for the rest. Um, probably because of the amount of shirts he'd sell. So that's why I'd sell him. And then I'd invest that the rest of the squad. <laughs> and the stadium. And the stadium <laughs> and everything things, else. Things the Glazers are not doing. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So that's mine. Uh, keen to hear from you, Double eight, double three. what are you doing? Uh, whether you're a football fan, a cricket fan, or a league fan, we've given you three of those start bench trades. Let us know, Double eight, double three. It is 10 past eight here on SENZ. When we come back, we're going to talk NFL. This is SENZ Extra Time, and uh, Gerard Cronin joins us uh, out of Australia from SEN Australia to talk NFL. And, uh, Gerard, we're at that time of the season where, where it's, it's four teams standing. Uh, have we got the best four teams in the comp, do you think? I think we really have, to be honest. Um, we've got the top two seeds from each conference uh, involved in their respective finals, uh, championship games. Uh, but also, we've got a couple of form teams as well going up against them. So, uh, Cincinnati and uh, the San Francisco 49ers have been running really hot. The uh, Bengals sitting on a 10-game winning streak and the 49ers on about a 12-game winning streak. So, it's, uh, it's, it's the top teams overall versus the, the teams on form. So, I think these two championship games are going to be beauties. Yeah, looking forward to the mate. Uh, actually, before we get into these games, I just wanted to ask you about what happened to the Buffalo Bills because... They looked imperious for long periods of time during the season. That first game in the wild card round, they gave up a, what four turnovers in that first uh, in that first half, and I thought, well, that's a hiccup. They'll bounce back, but they just they seemed to lose their confidence after that against the Bengals. Yeah, they didn't really turn up to be uh, at home. You kind of thought that the table was set for them to go out and play well. Uh, Demar Hamlin, of course, was at the game. Demar Hamlin, the, the player who collapsed on the field a few weeks earlier, but he was there giving them a lift. Uh, there was, I, I don't know how thick the snow was, but it didn't look too great out there. 
Uh, so that was all, all in their favour. The crowd was ready to go, but they just didn't really turn up and, and actually play the game that they wanted to. So uh, really disappointing from their perspective. Uh, a very impressive display, of course, from the Bengals on the flip side. But uh, in terms of the uh, the Bills' season, having gone in as the Super Bowl favourites, you know, to start the year, uh, I think they'll be hugely disappointed. And it just makes you wonder what sort of a toll the, the previous month or so had started to take on the team because they, yeah, they really did start to falter towards the end. Mm, yeah, I suppose yeah, that's something else I hadn't actually considered. You know, it's that emotion, emotional roller coaster they'd been on. It's it's hard to hard to keep there, right? Yeah, absolutely. To to be able to you know stay at that top level, uh, it's really hard to maintain it across the entire season. Uh, and I think to be fair, like they were a bit of a streaky team throughout the year as well. The Bills had been a little bit up and down. They had a few bad losses here and there. Uh, and as you say, they had the wobbles in that wild card game, which everyone thought, okay, that's that's all right. They'll they'll get it together and, and actually start you know start to turn up and impose their will on the opposition. But yeah, it just it didn't really seem to come together. They were just in the end, they were out-coached and out-played. So, um, yeah, a, a bitterly disappointing one for those Buffalo fans. They won't be uh, probably not jumping on any tables at the moment. No, 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 they won't be. Um, so the Bengals get through. They take on the Eagles in Philly. Uh, of course, the Bengals have had to do a little bit of travelling. Uh, Philly have managed to have been able to stay home right throughout uh, this playoff series. Um, Jalen Hurts and co. waiting for them. How do you think this is going to play out? Yeah, so the um, sorry, I just need to correct you there. The uh, the Bengals are travelling to the Chiefs, um, the the top seeded. Yeah, uh, so so you got the the seed right, just the the wrong um, conference, but that's all good. Yeah, the the Chiefs now are going to be playing at home. There was a lot of chat about if the Bills had gotten through to the AFC Championship game, if they were going to put it on a neutral field. So uh, the Bengals decided, no, 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 we're not going to have any of that. Uh, they were going to just spoil the entire party and uh, and actually had to go and, and play at Kansas City, where they played last year. And, of course, they did upset the Chiefs to get through to the Super Bowl. So uh, a really fascinating game, which is coming up for a couple of reasons. Uh, first of all, the Bengals are now gone in as favourites, which is really interesting, considering, again, they're going to be the road team and playing against the top seed. Uh, Kansas City uh, Arrowhead Stadium is not an easy place to win at all. Uh, and um, and also on the flip side, uh, on, on the Chiefs side of things, uh, Patrick Mahomes picked up a what's termed as a high ankle sprain uh, in the previous game against the Jaguars. So he was hopping around the field quite a lot uh, against Jacksonville and he really couldn't run or, or do a heck of a lot of his, his regular stuff that, he, that you're used to seeing. He was literally hopping around on one foot a lot of the time. So... Uh, that's going to be worth monitoring, and everyone's keeping a close eye on exactly what's happening with Patrick's ankle as they head towards this big game. Yeah, well, I mean, it makes it easier if you're the defensive coordinator for the Bengals, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It limits what he can do. Uh, if you take out the uh, the running game aspect of Patrick Mahomes and what he does, it actually takes away a lot of the effectiveness. Uh, but the thing is, is that uh, these guys, they've done it before. They've actually... They're the one team that I've actually seen rattle Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs last year. So it's it's almost as though the uh, the defense have actually they've got a style of play and they've got the personnel that can rattle Patrick. And and, and if he's limited in terms of what he can do with the ball, he won't be able to you know perhaps move around the pocket as well as we would anticipate or make those running plays to pick up big first downs, which he, he can do. Uh, if he can't do that in this game, uh, then as you say the the, the defensive line of the Bengals and, and the linebacking core will be, you know, they'll be really licking their lips at trying to shut him down. 
Yeah, I mean, you, you can plan for the rush game, but you don't have to worry about the quarterback doing it. And you know, they'll be hunting him early too, and trying to they'll be uh, they'll be they'll be looking to hurt him early, uh, hit him hard, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how he bounces back from that. What about Joe Burrow on the on the flip side of things? Uh, only in his third season, uh, big game for him. How do you how do you like him and the way he's tracked this season? Well, there's been some talk about if Burrow and Mahomes are actually the new Brady and Manning, and I've got to say, uh, I actually do like that um, that comparison because the way both of these guys play is, is just on another level. And these guys are really uh, the top two quarterbacks in the league. Uh, apologies to Eagles fans for saying that based on what Jalen Hurts has done. But Joe Burrow has come in. They call him Joe Cool. And he is just he, he's a wonderful player. He has come in and just changed really everything around the Cincinnati Bengals organization. Uh, they are not a franchise that has been used to success. Uh, but he has come in with the attitude and you know, he said straight away in the lead up to the Bills game, he was like, look, we're coming in and we're not going to be the underdogs in this game. Uh, and they were playing with a real chip on their shoulder as well about the whole uh, neutral site, um, uh, you know, AFC championship game chatter as in people were expecting it to be a Chief Bills sort of um, clash. So, so Joe came and he fired up everyone and uh, he played, you know, he played lights out and in the snow, which is not easy, throwing the ball around, he made it just look like he was out in his backyard. Uh, and at the end, uh, when he was interviewed, he said, well, uh, people better get given their refunds for that neutral site because uh, we're going to Kansas City. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely said. Nicely said. Um, all right. Well, what do you, what do you think the outcome's going to be? I mean, have um, with a, a slightly wounded Mahomes, does that even the playing field? Yeah, look, I think it, it really does. Uh, in terms of what type of Patrick is able to turn out, will go a long way towards determining how this game will go. Um, I think for me, I will still, I'll still lean with the Chiefs. They've been my pick uh, all year to go all, all the way to the Super Bowl. So I'm going to stick with them. I think they're the favourites. They're at home and almost uh, playing with, you know, not as much pressure on their shoulders because they, they now actually turn out at home as an underdog. So they're probably the team this week which may have the chip on their shoulder. So, uh, and don't forget as well, this is a very well coached Chiefs side. Andy Reid is an absolute marvel of a coach. And uh, they have a wonderful all-round squad. So um, I'm still leaning with the Chiefs. But I tell you what, this could be uh, an absolute game. I definitely would not be shocked if the, the Bengals could could roll them again and make them to a second straight Super Bowl. But uh, I will still lean at this point uh, with uh, Mahomes and the Chiefs. All right, let's have a look at the other side of things because the 49ers are going to... Um you know they've got their work cut out. They really do. I know they've been on a great streak, but they've got a rookie at quarterback and and, and Brock Purdy who keeps doing wonderful things. But you wonder how long he can keep doing those wonderful things. And they've got to go to Philly. Jalen Hurts, that O line that uh, Philly have got there, they just they just march downfield. Yeah, and that's it. I'm glad you highlighted the uh, the O line because that has been the aspect of the Philadelphia Eagles um, that I've been most impressed with. Last week, they just completely destroyed the Giants, who had uh, come in with high hopes of their own. But uh, they were having none of that. The Eagles, they came in, they just stamped their authority all over the game. And that was led from up front, the big boys, uh, doing the, uh, the, you know, the grunt work, the un, un sort of stylish stuff out there. So uh, I really like this, this line that they've got in front of Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts is doing some wonderful things as well, but I guess it's a lot easier to do it when you do have a good line playing in front of you. I saw an interesting stat uh, about Jalen Hurts, and that being that he is uh, he's about the fourth-ranked quarterback in the league uh, when he's got a clean pocket to play with. 
Uh, but when he's under pressure, uh, he becomes about the, uh, the 20th uh, in terms of quarterback passer rating. So that just shows the value of having good guys in front of you. You've got to have smart play calling and playmakers as well around you. But if you've got those guys in front, just holding back that defensive line, um, that, that does a lot of the job for you. But that, that will be a huge task going up against the defensive line of the, uh, the San Francisco 49ers because they have got some players on there. So uh, that, that particular battle between those two lines could actually be a real determining factor in this game. Could, could the way that the Philadelphia Eagles have gone about their recruitment and the way that they play, uh, we've talked about that offensive line, the way that it's been built and stuff in front of Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts is a very good quarterback, but he's not a superstar quarterback. You know, he's not a Brady or, or, or one of those type of names. Could the way that the Eagles have set up, recruited, and, and play the game, could that change the NFL, the face of the NFL, do you think, for, for a lot of other teams? Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's like a another version of what almost what the Ravens have been doing in the past few seasons with Lamar Jackson, uh, albeit that uh, the... How do we say it? The Eagles have got some far better players on the outside, better wide receivers with Devontae Smith uh, and also... Um, Dallas Goddard and AJ Brown, who they traded for last year. So they've got some playmakers out wide. They've got an excellent running game, which has been the real key to their success. We talk about that, you know, that offensive line, and that leads into a great running game led by Jalen Hurts himself, who can run the ball. He's, he's tough as nails. He will, uh, you know, he'll go out there and he'll run the ball. Uh, and also backed up by Miles Sanders and, and Gainwell, these other guys, to really, um, you know, hammer home as many yards as they possibly can. So um, that, you know, if you can run the ball effectively, then that helps the game a lot. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a real fascinating one as to, you know, how this one shapes up. Because, again, uh, the Niners don't allow much. So uh, if the Eagles can go out there and, and run the ball, you know, like they do against normal teams, then uh, they'll make it a long afternoon for the defense. But, um, but yeah, a fascinating matchup. Are you picking then a... Um... A Mahomes Hurts Super Bowl matchup. Ooh, here we go. Uh, look, I'm gonna. I was actually hugely impressed with what I saw from the Eagles last week. I thought they came out and just yeah, they really laid the smackdown. And I thought, wow, this is a really class team that could go all the way. Um, having said that, um, I'm gonna actually just go back a couple of weeks where I had actually gone for a Chiefs 49ers Super Bowl. So I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to stay with the underdog 49ers in this one. I think they, uh, you know, they've got big game experience. They went to the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. Um, so I'm going to stick with yeah, the 49ers to get through and uh, and cause the upset and get through to the Super Bowl. Yeah, all right. Look forward to it, man. Look forward to see how it all plays out. Hey, before I let you go, a um, couple of big names, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, not sure what they're up to next year. Uh, I would be very surprised if they're both with the same franchises as they were this year. What, what's your prediction? Are they uh, attractive to teams that are looking to rebuild or, or looking for a, a quarterback at the moment? Yes, that's a really interesting question, actually. Uh, it's that, you know, that developmental aspect of having a quarterback and developing them with your team or bringing in you know, a guy who's, uh, who's seen a few things uh, like Aaron Rodgers or a Tom Brady. So, uh, it depends, you know, what these sides want to do. Uh, I look at a team like the Miami Dolphins, who have basically started to they've tried to cash in a lot of pieces, a lot of draft picks and whatnot to try and actually win now because they start to fancy their chances of, of going all the way. And you know, potentially, 
if they'd been able to have a guy like a Tom Brady at quarterback this year, then they could have gone a lot further than they actually did. So, um, I yeah, I, I, early days, I think a team like the Dolphins uh, could be a good fit for Tom. Um, I know that they tried a couple of years ago to actually uh, get him on board, uh, which um, yeah, would have changed a lot of things. But, um, yeah, I think the Miami Dolphins, if they could get Tom Brady, that'd be a team that would definitely um, you know, look at doing some damage. There's also a team uh, who you might know, um, the Las Vegas Raiders, who uh, currently have a vacancy at the quarterback. <laughs> currently, uh, currently, you've got a, a vacancy at the quarterback uh, position there with, uh, with old mate Derek Carr out the, uh, out the door. Um, so, I mean, he, that, that's the kind of place that, uh, you know, a Tom or even an Aaron Rodgers could go and succeed. They've got a lot of things going for them, um, but um, yeah, it's a matter of putting it together. Also, Josh McDaniel, the head coach of the Raiders, just used to be the offensive coordinator uh, back when Brady was playing over at the Patriots. So, uh, yeah, interesting, interesting indeed. Indeed, indeed. All right, all right. We'll look forward to that, mate. I mean, if, if you were running the Raiders and you could trade for any quarterback in the league, who would you trade for? Oh, 100%. I'd either trade for Patrick Mahomes or Joe Burrow. <laughs> done deal. Done deal, done deal. All right. Hey, Gerard, thanks very much for coming on, mate. I know you've uh, you got somewhere to be uh, that sounds a lot more thirst-quenching than talking to me, so we'll let you go and do that, mate. Uh, appreciate your time. Awesome, mate. Thanks very much, guys. 26 away from nine here on Extra Time on SCNZ. Allegedly, allegedly, according to the band, that song is about driving to Perth from Melbourne and going across the Nullarbor and it's just been hot and long uh, cramped in a van with a bunch of dudes farting and stuff and drinking beer apparently that's what that song's about so there you go uh, Aussie uh, Aussie rock uh, in advance of Australia Day tomorrow that is our theme for our music uh, tonight here on Extra Time uh, just updating you the quarterfinals of the Tennis Australian Open uh, Tommy Paul uh, unranked player uh, is in the quarterfinals. Well, he's in the semifinals now because he's beaten Ben Shelton, another unranked player. Seven six six three five seven six four. He will meet the winner of Andre Rublev, the, the fifth seed, and Novak Djokovic, the fourth seed in the semifinal. That game is on in around about half an hour or so. Uh, and the other semi-final, well, it's Karen Karchinov, the 18th seed, who got past Sebastian Corder, who retired hurt in the third set. Uh, and he will play the third seed, um, Stefanos Tsitsipas, uh, who had a pretty easy uh, quarterfinal, has to be said, straight set, 6-3-7-6-6-4. So that's how things look on the men's side of the draw. On the women's side of the draw today, uh, we had quarterfinal wins for... Uh, Andrea Sabalenka, she got past uh, Daria Vekic, 6-3-6-2. And um, Maria Lynette, uh, who's an unseated player, is also in the semifinals. She beat uh, Katrina Pliskova, 6-3-7-5. And so uh, we're just about at semifinal time in the Australian Open. Like I said, uh, from 9 o'clock, we have coverage here of the Australian Open, and it will be that Novak Djokovic match up against Andre Rublev. So definitely worth tuning in to that one. I was just talking the NFL and odds in the NFL uh, with Gerard Cronin earlier, just uh, having a look at it now, the Bengals are favourites to beat the Chiefs, even though it's in Kansas City. Bengals are $1.77, Kansas City $1.97, and the 49ers are outsiders. They go to Philly, Philly are $1.66, and the 49ers are $2.11. That's how the market looks for the NFL. Had a text through on double eight double three asking, 
Who is the worst team in the English Premier League that will avoid relegation? That is from Ross in Christchurch. Well, Ross, that's a great question. Uh, and I've been doing a little bit of a look, been having a little bit of a look. And I reckon my three teams to get relegated this year are Southampton, Bournemouth, and probably Leeds. Um, I think Nottingham Forest have probably found their feet. They, they're probably going to have a few points in them. Leicester City, they've got too many good players to get relegated, I think. Same with West Ham. Wolves have brought in a very competent manager and made some new signings. Uh, so that's the three that I think. A lot will depend on who Everton appoint as manager because they're currently 19th. But I think they sh- if they'll get that right, uh, that new manager bounce could help them. So I'm predicting Everton will once again get themselves out of the storm and stay up. So my answer to your question, the worst team in the Premier League not to get relegated will probably be Everton. That is what I think. Um, but uh, take that as you will. Double eight, double three. you've got some thoughts on that, Ben? I agree with two of the three. Okay, who do you disagree with? I do think Everton will go down. You do? Okay, so of the three that I said will go down, who's staying up? <sighs> well, I think Southampton and Bournemouth will go down as well. I think the current bottom three will probably be the bottom three at the end of the season. But look, the thing is, between 20th and 14th, where Leicester City are, there's only three points separating them. Mm-hmm. So one of those teams gets a win, and that <laughs> and that thing, oh, we're out of there, but you're still right on the cusp. But I look at Everton, and look, they haven't really been scoring goals. I know they haven't. I know for a bottom club, they haven't really conceded much either, but mm-hmm. I think that's more due to the heroics of Jordan Pickford than anything. Yep. I kind of also feel like they've ridden their luck too much, and I kind of feel like that their luck might run out. I look at other clubs, and they've made managerial changes this year, and I don't think they've really had, it's really had that same impact compared to previous years. I know, I know, there probably have been some exceptions to that, but I look at all the other clubs at the bottom who have made managerial changes that hasn't really changed much yet. Uh, I if, maybe if Everton did appoint a Duncan Ferguson or a Sean Dyche. I would say, I probably would still say yes, but I think it will probably be a bit closer than what it would be, but that's a big if. Yeah, it is a big if. I know what you're saying. I mean, you look at their stats this season, played 20, won three, drawn six, lost 11. They've only scored 15 goals, conceded 28. So they're not conceding a heap, right? Defensively, they're not conceding a lot. They just need to find a way to score goals. Uh, Sean Dyche did that very well with Burnley um, for quite a few years, kept them in the league but it was through defence rather than scoring goals. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. And there's also the talk that one of their young prospects, Anthony Gordon, could be on the way out as well. Mm, well yeah, I mean, he's attracted a lot of interest. In the summer, Chelsea offered, I think, well, in the summer, I should say, in the in the preseason, Chelsea offered something like $60 million for him and Everton said no. Um, and I, I would have snapped my hands off because I don't think it's worth it. Um, but there you go. And Chelsea are back sniffing around again, as are a couple of other clubs. Yeah, and that's coming from you who paid, what, $80 million for Harry Maguire? Well, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't, personally. But yes, yes, I hear, I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. So, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. It really is. Ross, thanks very much for your text. Double eight, double three. You can keep your texts rolling through. Uh, if you've got any more questions on any of that stuff, it is uh, 20 away from 9 o'clock. After 9 o'clock, as I said, we switch to the tennis because uh, we have a, a big quarterfinal between Novak Djokovic and Andre Rublev, um, and I'm really looking forward to this. I think it's going to be a fantastic match. Uh, at the moment, Djokovic, highly fancy. Considering this is fourth versus fifth, Ben, 
Djokovic a dollar ten, Rublev six sixty. You know, um, I don't know if Rise Up's going to help him, but he could he could he could probably do with something. Uh, I'm surprised at the disparity um, in the uh, in the odds on that one. Uh, speaking of odds, we're going to get the odds on the Breakers uh, making uh, the playoffs, uh, whether they'll finish in the play-in or uh, in the top two. We're going to find out from Casey Frank next. This is SCNZ. It is extra time with Ricardo Ball and joining us from uh, well from basketball royalty, really, isn't he in New Zealand? Casey Frank, the man that can do anything when it comes to hoops. How are you, sir? I'm doing very well. Mostly, I can talk about it, but uh, heavy as the head. <laughs> <laughs> how, how are the knees these days? You breaking any ankles out on on practice courts? No, thankfully, uh, my, my my knees are pretty good. Uh, I, I got off easy in that respect. It was my back that, that went, but uh, the lower joints beneath that are pretty pretty solid overall. Uh, that's uh, you've been working on your free throws in the off season. <laughs> no, no need. I no need to work on my free throws anymore. <laughs> the curse, uh, the scourge is done with me. Oh, excellent, mate. Excellent. Hey, we got a we got a big game tomorrow night. Uh, the Breakers uh, heading to Brisbane to take on the Bullets. Uh, Bullets slightly resurgent. Uh, Breakers, of course, had that big win over the Kings after a bit of a lull. What have you made of uh, sort of the last couple of weeks for the Breakers? Uh, you know, they've been battling pretty hard without Barry Brown Jr. really trying to find an offensive identity. Uh, and some guys have played really well in his absence. William McDowell White, uh, Brantley, of course, uh, Pardon has, uh, had some big ones and, uh, at times as well. Uh, Lee Alpha before he went out, but it just couldn't find it, uh, for the entirety of a game. It was great to see that against the Kings and the way they finished, uh, in that seesaw fair was really impressive against the defending champs. Uh, and with that kind of offensive not really being up to par, their defense as well had slipped a little bit, but it was great to see defense be the player of the year candidate, uh, Jarrell Brantley, really step up to the forefront in that respect as well. So it's a huge win against the Kings after what was a, a bumpy few games uh, where they couldn't really find the offensive flow. How much, I mean, I, I looked at the, the run they had, and I, I kind of I look at the NBL and go, how can you put a team through this? Because... Uh, and I'm not saying it's just the breakers that get it, but uh, uh, you know I'm sure other teams have had runs like this as well. But I mean, the amount of games they had in such a short period of time, and when you factor in the travel, it's uh, it looks like mismanagement by the league. Well, what is? I mean, a bit of that is just the way that it had to be set up on the back end of the COVID uh, stint that went to the team, where they missed two games, and so those games got pushed into the end of the year, where they would have been you know more on par with what the rest of the league is going into with a with sort of a one game a week thing. So unfortunately, because of that, it has become quite difficult. And, you know, the rigors of travel in the uh, NBL is something that I think teams have dealt with for a long time, in particular New Zealand and Perth, uh, you know, some far north Queensland teams as well. And when you get a lot of games in a short amount of time, it does make it tough. But no excuses, I think, from them. They understand this is what it is, and you, ha- you have to get through what you have to get through. How did you deal with it as a player, the the play-travel, play-travel scenario, you know, where you might have, what, three games in, in seven days sort of thing again and yo-yoing between here and Aussie? Well, you know, you, you try and recover as best you can. You know, a lot of legs up on the walls, uh, ice baths you can get them, uh, Norma Tech, uh, uh, you know, uh, get, getting that blood out of the uh, legs if, you, if you've got the, that available as well. Uh, but for the most part, you can't do that because you are traveling, you're on planes, you're going to the time zone. Uh, the most difficult one for me was always going to Perth. You know, you're playing uh, in the middle of the night on your body clock and you haven't had much rest and you turn right back around and come back. So that kind of always wrecked you for four or five days. Uh, but 
overall, you just got to go out there and give it your best effort. And some days the, the body is cooperative, and especially the older you get, uh, some days it's not so much. Mm. Uh, well, uh, a team I think we have to keep an eye on, well, two teams we really, really should be keeping an eye on as Breakers fans, meet tonight, later tonight. Actually, Southeast Melbourne Phoenix on a good streak. Uh, Ken's Taipans go on a ride as well. How do you see this one? Well, it's going to be interesting. Uh, Keanu Fender's back for, for the Taipans, an early season MVP candidate. Uh, and they struggled a little bit with him coming back for for the first time in a few weeks from injury, and he looked a little bit underdone. So he's going to have to get up to speed quickly for a team that had really found its straps without him out of the lineup. Had won six straight. Uh, the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix, uh, towards the end of the season, have have had a losing streak of their own, but still control their own destiny if they can continue to win. Uh, the Taipans, I think, trying to eye that top of the table spot. It, it's going to be a tough one, but I think the physicality of the Phoenix is going to be too much for this Cairns uh, Taipans team that is trying to find its feet and reassess one of the better players or re- readjust to having one of the better players in the league back in the lineup. Yeah, what what about uh, their, their new part owner as well? Uh, Nick Kyrgios, mate, you reckon he'll help? Fire the boys up for yeah. dressing room speech? You know, you know, he's he's a keen basketball fan. He, he gets a lot of hoop in. He's always a, he was always at Kings games when he's uh, living in Sydney. But uh, that that ownership group, man, that's a cast of thousands. There's a lot of guys, a lot of talent. <laughs> so I, I don't know what the percentages are, but uh, it must be enough to at least get a box when he's in town and hopefully get some uh, good behind the scenes access. Yeah, indeed. Uh, after this game uh, against the Bullets tomorrow, uh, the Breakers come home and then play Melbourne United. Uh, they have had a, they had a horrible start to the season, but seem to have found uh, some form. They've uh, strung a bunch of wins together. Now, how dangerous are they for the Breakers? I think really dangerous. You know, this is an ultra-talented team that that really has struggled and gone through uh, as tumultuous a season as any team in the league has this year uh, with their ownership uh, issues. I'm so sorry as well with uh, the coaching changes. Uh, that's a lot to go through for a season. But it's a, uh, I think most concerning for the Breakers, it's a, one of the bigger teams in the league. Uh, you know, uh, the, with the, the size they have, with Harrison uh, in the middle, with uh, obviously Baines as well. Those are huge guys, Baines with the NBA experience. Uh, of course, uh, a little bit smaller because Terry Froling was a victim of a, a cowardly one-punch uh, act in the Illawarra after their game down there. And uh, he's out this week suffering from concussion and a broken jaw. But but that that size discrepancy still is going to be a tough thing for the Breakers to deal with because they have had struggled with size at times this season. Yeah, I mean, I look at tonight's game and I think if you're the Breakers, you you want South East Melbourne to win almost because uh, if they don't, that'll really give Melbourne United that sniff because they they they'll be then in the in the playing tournament places if that happens. Yeah, I think you know the United with Dean Vickerman going through a tough season, uh, they're they're going to be in that to, to win the game regardless. Uh, you know, when I spoke to him uh, on the last trip down to Christchurch, you know, he said it reminded him a lot of that 20, 2014 season. When he was with the Breakers, when I actually came out of uh, the commentary booth to help, they were just down a lot of bodies. It's been a tough year, and that year was in between uh, was wedged, of course, by the three peat and the four championship and the Breakers uh, dynasty. So uh, for him, I think it was the pride that he plays with, the pride that team plays with, uh, led by Chris Golding and Xavier uh, Latan Mays or Hayes, uh, they're going to be a tough out regardless of what happens. Uh, you know, everybody's just coming out trying to get the ones they can and. I think even the United might even play a little bit more loosely if uh, if they didn't have anything on the line. Now, a team, uh, Casey, I want to ask you about is uh, the Adelaide 36ers. 
They had a, a late start to the season because they went on that uh, preseason trip to the US. Uh, they famously beat the Phoenix Suns, uh, you know, with a full lineup uh, and everything. Did it feel to you like they thought they'd won the championship at that point? Why have they fallen over so badly in the second half of the season? Yeah, there's some real issues there this year, unfortunately, for uh, for, for CJ Bruton, uh, the second-year coach of the Sixers. Didn't really get the, the rhythm they needed at the start of the year and seemed to have some personality issues with the star import pretty early on as well uh, when, when Craig Randall III was seen uh, arguing really, really, really uh, behind the scenes as well with the, the league caught it. You can catch out of the sky with some stuff you don't often see, but some of the conversations they actually had that we saw on TV, got in to see that. and just, just seemed like to be a mismatch of personalities. They haven't recovered from what happened early in the season. At times, looked like they were going well, but up to this point, haven't lived up to their talent. And Although it's not possible for them to make the playoffs, they're certainly on the outside looking in. Mm. Who's the Who's the biggest uh, diva you've ever had as a teammate that's been that's, that's been tough to deal with? Uh, I, I mean, uh, I'm picking. It's probably going to be between Andrew Mulligan and Justin Nelson. But you know, you you let me know. No, there, there's a lot of personalities out there. You know, uh, I've played with a lot of guys in a lot of places, and uh, so sometimes it is difficult to play with a guy. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, if you want to be a championship winning team, you can have to get around that. And sometimes the more difficult the personality, the, the harder that is and the less likely you are. I think back through my career, the, the, the toughest times were when we had those big personalities that just couldn't adjust to the team uh, framework. I guess it's a thin line, right? It's like uh, how good do they have to be to carry somebody that's difficult to deal with? And how many of those guys can you have in a squad? Uh, they have to be really good. Uh, you know, the, the juice has to be worth the squeeze uh, in, in those kind of cases. And it, it all depends on the squad. Uh, so sometimes a few more of those guys can, can, can sort of uh, change the, the identity of a team and they change the mindset the way that, that sort of works. But uh, other times it uh, ends up a little bit more volatile. You gotta, you gotta. Sometimes the juice is worth the squeeze. I love that. I love that. You, 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 always, you have the great calls, Casey. Hey, uh, before I let you go, mate, I want, I want to get you to pick me a couple of winners because my TAB count's looking a bit thin. Um, Southeast Melbourne tonight are a dollar seventy-five against Cairns, who are two bucks. Uh, I'm going to go with the Phoenix. Uh, I think the physicality is going to be a bit too much. Uh, Knicks, uh, sorry, Knicks. Uh, the Breakers are dollar forty-two against the Bullets, who are paying two seventy in Brisbane. Uh, I, I think I'm going to go with the Breakers. I think their speed and what their iron is going to get them over the line, uh, especially w- w- with, unfortunately, that front line being down one of the bigger bodies that would have w- would have hurt the Breakers this season that evening. Yeah, and the Kings have a difficult trip on their hands. They've got to go to Hobart to play the Jack Jumpers. The Jack Jumpers are a buck, uh, two bucks sixty. The Kings are dollar forty four. Uh, you know, I really do think uh, the, the Kings should bounce back, but but the Jack Jumpers, man, uh, they were, had that championship run last year. I don't think they're going to go down without a fight, so I think they're going to pick that one up. Beautiful, Casey. Oh, the beer fridge is full already. I can feel it in my bones. Thank you very much, sir. Uh, appreciate your time. Always good to have you on, Ben.